I greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. I have to admit I was a little nervous. I'd heard there was a prerequisite that any speakers who came would have to be able to do a backflip. <laughs> but I heard there were some complications with that, so that didn't pass. But, but it is a pleasure to be here this morning. And I did have a conversation with Sean this week. I said, I won't judge you for what you did, but I will laugh at you. And he's a good sport about it, and our prayers are with him in all seriousness. He's, he went through a lot of pain, and, and I pray that he is well on his way to, the, to mending. It is a pleasure to be here this morning. If we exit sort of quickly afterwards, uh, I, ask, I hope you accept my apology. I am also on the schedule to be at Bethel this morning, too. So and with our service being flip-flop from yours, I think that will work out just fine. But Lord willing, that's what we'll be doing this morning. And uh, you know, we have a lot of plans. We have, I have plans to be at Bethel yet this morning and plans to be here. And you know, we can lay out those plans. We can make those plans. That's fine. God wants us to do that. He talks about the tower and planning for the tower. We don't just go into it haphazardly. But when we make those plans, we need to have those plans surrender to God's will. Whatever He has in mind, those plans can change quickly. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is God's plans. The scripture we'll be looking at this morning is in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, the first 13 verses, and we see particularly the plan that God had for His Son, and we see some responses that Jesus had to some people who tried to direct His plan in their own way. Um, At this time, I'm going to ask the sound person to uh, go ahead and play the track, and it'll be, again, it'll be verses 1 through 13. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also not publicly, but in secret. Now, at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. As our text opens here in chapter 7, The first verse opens with, after this. I just want to take a little bit of time to reflect on that. From the end of chapter 6 to the beginning of chapter 7, it appears to be that about six months of time had passed. And John doesn't record anything that happened in that time. It appears from reading the other Gospels that during this time, Jesus spent one-on-one time or, you know, very personal time with his disciples. 
One place you can look for this is in Matthew, starting in chapter 16, going through chapter 20. Some of the things that are recorded there are the Mount of Transfiguration and many parables that he shared specifically with his disciples. Now, he did healings and things, but he didn't really have any public messages like he did in the preceding chapter with the feeding of the 5,000 and then another one that John doesn't record is the feeding of the 4,000. But I had to think about this six months, just this window that he spent with his disciples. Jesus' public ministry consisted of about three to three and a half years. When this one piece of pie in time, this one slice of time, he spent six months with basically 12 men. And it just speaks to me how important it is for us to make disciples of those around us one-on-one. You know, these times this morning, this corporate time to open the Word and to study it, these are important too. Jesus taught like that. He did. But it's also very important, and I think we miss our opportunities, we avoid our opportunities at times for one-on-one discipleship, for one-on-one ministry. Jesus' life was an example for us in many ways, and this is just another one of those examples that He gave us. Spend time. He knew about the power of, of multiplication in ministry. He spent that much personal time with those disciples, although one of them turned away from him and betrayed him. But even with the other 11, that personal time that he spent with them was multiplied because we have accounts in Acts where they spent personal time. Yes, they preached, but they also spent personal time witnessing and building up others around them. And I just challenge you with that this morning to look for your opportunities, to seek opportunities to disciple those around you and to guide them in one-on-one personal ministry. We also know from verse 1 that the Jews were waiting in Jerusalem and they were waiting to take Jesus' life. Why were they so mad at him? What did he do that got them so stirred up? We don't have to go very far into the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, we see where he cleansed the temple. He made fools out of them in that instance. We jump ahead up to John chapter 5, and we see the account of the miracle of the healing of the, of the crippled man at the pool. And we see in John chapter 5, verse 18, this is after the healing at the pool. I'm sorry, this was after the healing of the pool. And it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This enraged them. And this is where they began to seek him, to destroy him, to kill him. They thought they could eliminate him. And as you go on in the Gospel of John, he reports many times when they did try to do just that. We see that this is another instance. This instance is not recorded in any of the other three Gospels, and it's about this feast of the tabernacle, this time for the Jews to come together. And what they were doing was remembering their time in the desert. This feast, this festival lasted eight days. It began on the Sabbath and ended on the Sabbath. 
one of the things they did, one of the primary things they did for this festival was to come into Jerusalem and they built temporary shelters, very similar and to remember them, to remind them about the temporary shelters that they lived in as their ancestors, that their ancestors lived in as they wandered through the desert. You know, we have festivals here. We have the turkey trot. We have the antique show. This was a festival that they came together, but they remembered a very, very specific time in the history of their, of their people. And you can imagine all these people coming into Montgomery, putting up temporary shelters in, in open lots, and they, their houses had flat roofs at that time. They built some temporary shelters on top of their houses. They were basically all required to come do this as a remembrance, as a look back. And that's what this festival was all about. Well, Jesus' brothers were in Galilee with him. Because Jesus was in Galilee, he was staying away from Jerusalem at this time. And because of the threats, because of the, the anger of the Jews. But his brothers gave him advice. Well, first of all, who are his brothers? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it tells us that they're James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Some commentators would say that this word brothers could also, remember, could also mean his cousins. And I particularly think it was talking about his half-brothers that were also born from his mother Mary and Joseph. But these brothers at this time, and we know from reading the scripture, James became a man of God, and so did Judas writing the book of Jude. We don't hear, we don't hear anything else about the other two brothers. We know that those two did come to follow him. But at this time, it appears like they didn't. They told Jesus, they said, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. They told him that no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Looking at the Amplified Version for the second half of verse 4, it says, If you must do these things, if you must act like this, show yourself openly and make yourself known to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. I like the way the Amplified Version brings it out. I believe it, it captures the, the spirit of his brothers. It's like, we're so tired of hearing this. We're so tired of what you're doing. We're embarrassed by you. We don't believe this. This is foolishness. But if you must do this stuff, make it public and get it over with. I believe that was the attitude of his brothers, so that's why they were pushing him. They knew that the Jews in Jerusalem were angry at him. They weren't ignorant of that fact. And they wanted to get it over with. If you're going to act like this, just do it. Go for it. Why were they pushing him like this? Looking at verse 5 in the message, it says, His brothers were pushing him like this because they didn't believe in him either. Like I said, they wanted to get it over with. They didn't believe anything he was saying. Let's just get this over with, get it out of your system, meet the consequences, and get on with our lives. That was their motivation for getting him to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't to further his ministry. It wasn't to fulfill God's plan. It was to get rid of a nuisance in their lives. 
I ask you this morning in your life, who are you listening to? Do you have some brothers, maybe not biological brothers, but people you come in contact with day to day who are trying to encourage you to do something? Are you listening to them? What are their motives? Talked a little bit about the motives of Jesus' brothers. It may just simply be that the person who's trying to influence you doesn't believe. They don't believe in what you're doing and they're trying to shut you up or get you through it or push you through it. It may be fear. They may be instructing you that you really don't want to do something because of their fear, fear of something that will happen to you, fear of something that may be a consequence in their life because of your, your actions, totally basing on their emotions and their fear and not on what God's plan is for your life. Is it selfishness? It may not be fear. It may just, on their part, it may be something that they're going to be losing. Again, losing you, losing some part of their reputation, losing financial gains because of your actions. The people who are giving you advice, what are their motivations for that advice? It may be impatience. They just may be done. Move on. We want to get to the next event in life. We want to get to whatever we have next. So if you have to do this, then just do it, just like Jesus' brothers. Well, what do you tell those who are giving you advice and you can see their motivations are not pure? They're not seeking God. They're looking only within themselves, only at their own desires, their their own wants. What do you tell them? Well, Jesus told his brothers that the right time had not yet come. But he didn't stop there. He told them, for you, any time is right. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain it. He says, the world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you. This is Jesus talking. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. The world can't hate Jesus' brothers because they are of the world. They're not confronting him, confronting them, confronting the world with what they're doing wrong. And Jesus is. That's why the Jews hate him. That's why they don't understand him. They're of a completely different mindset. And that's why Jesus' brothers can't be hated by the world. They're of a different mindset than Jesus. Looking at an example in Scripture, story from the Old Testament, we go back to Abraham. We know that God gave Abraham a promise. Going back to Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 4. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, this being Abram. This man will not be your heir. They've been talking about Abram's servant. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
Abram believed the word, believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham, or Abram in this case, his name hadn't been changed yet, had a promise from the Lord. He had God's plan clearly laid out before him. Well, what happened? Sarah tried to take it into her own hands. She came up with her own plan to fulfill God's plan. Well, what were her motives? I would say one would be impatience. She wanted this for her husband. She wanted this nation that God had promised, and she thought that she had to take it into her own hands to do it. Did Abraham... Did Abram take out the, did he take the time to point out the flaw in her plan? No, he didn't. He went along with it. He followed her plan. He stepped away from God's plan. He didn't wait for God to work. He and his wife and her maidservant tried to take it into their own hands. But was God's plan ultimately fulfilled? We know the story. We know it was. But we know that because of their impatience, because of their trying to do God's plan on their own, there were consequences. And there are consequences from that still today in the unrest in the Middle East from the son that was born through Sarai's maidservant. But ultimately, God's plan was fulfilled. And he and Sarai... Abram and Sarai had a son named Isaac. And many nations were produced through that, through God's plan, through his perfect plan. Still looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, God went on to test Abraham because of their impatience, I believe, in the birth of Isaac. God wanted to test him and see what he had learned and to continue to teach him and to strengthen him. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, we have this word to, to Abraham. It said, And God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. But did Abraham end up sacrificing Isaac? He laid him on the altar. He bound him. He laid him on the altar. He raised the knife. But no. God did not have for him to ultimately sacrifice him. But wait. I thought God told him to go do it. He did. It seems like in our lives we do tend to focus on the end. I'll confess, I do. When we see that God has a plan for us, we, we see it in our, in our minds, we believe it in our hearts. We proceed with that plan and then we're focused on the end. If Abraham had been focused on the end and had not been listening, had not heard that word to stop, he would have went ahead and sacrificed his son when that wasn't God's ultimate plan. See, what we do, we don't pay attention 
to our lives step by step at times. We're too focused on the goal. And we're not taking it day by day. I believe it was God's will for Abraham to proceed to sacrifice Isaac. But it wasn't ultimately his plan for Abraham to follow through with it. You see, he taught Abraham a lot. He proved a lot in Abraham through that directive. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is we tend to get confused when we or someone says that God asked them to do something and then that's ultimately not what happened. There's precedence for that in the Bible. It's about our obedience. It's about our willingness. And even though sometimes we think we know God's plan, what we know is what, God is, what we should be seeking is what God is asking us to do next. Going back to John chapter 7, Jesus told his brothers to go ahead, to go ahead without him. And he stayed for a time there in Galilee. We don't know how long it was. It couldn't have been very long because his brothers were headed up to the feast at that time, and the feast only lasted eight days. So just for a very short time, I would assume, he remained in Galilee. But then he went in secret. Was this a deception on Jesus' part? No, he did exactly what he said. He told him it wasn't his time. Not only was it not the time chronologically, it wasn't the time and the way they were wanting him to do it. He knew that the Jews were watching for him, as we talked about. But he went quietly, secretly, so as not to stir up more anger, more dissension. We know as we read on in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels, he does make that great entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. But it's not time for that yet. God's plan is, is, still has more steps to it. And Jesus knew that. As he got into Jerusalem, before he got there, we know from this text that the people didn't say anything public, public about him. The things they did say about him were very hushed. They were afraid. Some of, them, some of them said he was a good man. These were no, no doubt his supporters. But they stopped short of saying or speaking to his deity. They were very cautious about what they said. The Jews had them very scared, very afraid, very frozen to stand behind their Savior. Are we bold for Christ? Are we willing to speak out and to testify, to share his name? You know, we live in a country where we should feel somewhat free to do that. It seems like we're a little less free today than we used to be just by the way public opinion goes. But ultimately, we still have a great deal of freedom in this country to speak. I believe there's coming a day when that's getting more and more limited. I don't know that for sure, but just looking in the past and understanding the persecution that has went on in other countries for years. Those freedoms are getting tighter. Those freedoms are going away. But what are we doing with those freedoms? Are we standing boldly and sharing the good news, sharing what God, what Christ has done for us? And are we seeking His plan for our lives? 
Are we diligently praying and seeking and listening for what God has for us? Well, how do we know what His plan is? I'm the type of person I like to know. I like to plan myself and to know what's going to happen. I feel better that way. That's not faith. But how do we seek His plan? How do we discern His plan? What we're really saying is that we're afraid to fail. We don't want to mess up. People think that we're not spiritual. People think that we're silly. It'll hurt our reputation if we say that God said this and then it doesn't pan out. We have a little bit of pride. Sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. The way we learn to listen is by listening. Sounds kind of redundant, doesn't it? How do you learn anything? By study, by practice. Many of you in here have or still do play sports. Could you throw strikes the first time you stood on the pitcher's mound? Could you hit a three-pointer the first time you threw the ball up? It takes conditioning. And it takes conditioning to be able to listen for God's plan. That means you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to misunderstand. And sometimes, just like in Abraham's case, God's going to ask you to do something, and ultimately that's not what He has for you to do. It's step by step. It's day by day, and it's not worrying about what other people think concerning you, concerning your reputation. We want to love those people. We want to be open with them, and part of that is being real and admitting to them when you don't know, admitting to them when you misunderstood. The reality is that God's plan will ultimately be fulfilled just like it was with Jesus. Just like it was with Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was ultimately born from the union between Abraham and Sarah. It didn't involve Sarah's handmaid. It involved God's plan and it was ultimately fulfilled. Another familiar story in the Bible is Jonah. We won't turn there, but Jonah himself, he knew God's plan. He knew it so well that he ran the opposite direction, tried to get far, far away from it. But was God's plan for Jonah and his preaching to the Ninevites ultimately fulfilled? Yes, it was. Jonah had to live in the belly of a whale because of his refusal to follow the plan that he knew, that he clearly knew, because he didn't want to happen what he knew was going to happen if he fulfilled it. And that would be that Nineveh would hear and would repent. So if it's ultimately going to be fulfilled, then why even try? Why put forth any effort? Why, why do what God has for us to do? Because sometimes it's hard. It's hard to stand up to someone and tell them what God has asked you to tell them. It's hard to be different. It's hard to stand out in the crowd. It's a lot easier just to sit back and be who we are. So the question still remains, why? Why, why go through that problem if God's plan is ultimately going to be fulfilled anyway, even if I don't do what I'm supposed to do? Our obedience is how we love God. So we do what God asks us to do because we love the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who directs us. 
the one who has laid out a plan of salvation that we can spend eternity with him and his son praising and honoring him that's why we seek the will of God not for our own good not for our own fulfillment not for our own pats on the backs as we live in this world but to live in obedience and display love to our creator God Jesus told his brothers that the world could not hate him because they were of the world that's why he told them that are we of the world are we of God are we seeking the plan that God has for our lives are we seeking our own plan remember God's plan will ultimately be fulfilled and we have a choice whether or not to follow it my challenge to you this morning is to be listening and as I said don't worry about failing God will be there to pick you up and teach you through your failures to teach you through the hard times and to bring you to salvation to bring you to eternity with him praise God for his love for us and his plan for our lives Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you, God. I praise you, Lord, for your plan for our lives, Father. God, sometimes it's so hard to know what you have for us. God, it's so hard to set ourselves aside, to set our reputations aside. But God, we seek you. We long to serve you. We long to honor you, Lord. That's why we seek your plan, is to obey you and to show our love to you through our obedience, Father. God, just help us to remember, Lord, the stories that you give us in your Bible, the promises that you give us in the text, Lord. God, to apply those things to our lives daily, Father, to know them and to understand them, Father. God, my prayer for this congregation, Lord, is that they will go from this place seeking you. God, you ask us to seek counsel. You encourage us to seek counsel. But Lord, help us to filter that counsel through your commands. To see the fruits in those who we seek counsel from. And to know that that their fruits display that they are serving you, Father. God, I just pray your blessing upon this congregation. I pray, Lord, that they will have hearts seeking you, desiring your plan, Lord. Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.